Hey everyone, thanks for checking out the River Community Church podcast. If you want more information about the church or things that are going on, you can visit therivercc.com or you can check out our app at app.therivercc.com. This week's message comes from Pastor Brian Vaughn. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him from the skies. Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all the armies of heaven. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all you twinkling stars. Praise him, skies above. Praise him, vapors high above the clouds. Let every created thing give praise to the Lord. For he issued his command, and they came into being. He set them in place forever and ever. His decrees will never be revoked. Praise the Lord from the earth, you creatures of the ocean depths, fire and hail, snow and clouds, wind and weather that obey him, mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, wild animals and all livestock, small scurrying animals and birds, kings of the earth and all people, rulers and judges of the earth young men and women, old men and children. Let them all praise the name of the Lord, for his name is very great. His glory towers over the earth and heaven. He has made his people strong, honoring his faithful ones, the people of Israel who are close to him. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we ask that this morning, Lord, that you would turn our hearts, our minds, and our eyes towards you. Lord, would you show you show us how to honor you with every single part of our lives. Would you show us how to worship you? And Lord, may you be honored in our hearing and in our putting into practice. we ask for your Holy Spirit to teach us your word and interpret for us and to guide us. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. You taught me how to worship. This statement caught me really off guard. Uh, It was a lady in the church that we served in before uh, we moved to Cookville to help start a church. Now, what had happened in this place, we, we had done some things and made a lot of changes in uh, kind of the style of 
uh, and methods of, of what this church looked like. It was definitely very traditional in its, in its methods and in its, uh, its style of things. And, and I was the music guy. And we made changes, <laughs> changes that a lot of people didn't like. Got me called a couple of names along the way. But then we, we saw just a, a pretty cool transformation over the years. And we had felt like God was leading us back to Cookville to, to, to help start uh, or be a part of a church that was just kicking off. You might know it. And so people were saying goodbye to us. And this sweet lady, she was a friend. She came up and she said to me, we're so sad that you're leaving because you really taught us how to worship. And I, I quite honestly didn't know how to take that <laughs> because I was, how old was I? I was like 28. <laughs> I was like, I think back then to, to who I was back then. I'm like, how, I, I'm really sorry if I taught you how to worship or what it looked like. Like, what do you, what do you even mean by that? Did I have some kind of connection with God that she hadn't previously had? Or was the style or the presentation of music that we had changed in our services, was it somehow now more holy? What does she mean? And I, I think probably what she meant was that I had just helped or we had just helped her maybe change her perspective a little bit and just pointed her to God. And isn't that really the job of a worship leader or a pastor or a preacher or a priest is to point people to Jesus and to give them the opportunity to gaze in wonder upon God's goodness and beauty and holiness and greatness. I wonder if I ask you, hey, when you think about worship, what do you think about? What would be the first things that come to your mind? When you think about worship, what do you think about? I would say for many of us, the first thing that pops into our mind is music, right? Or maybe it's an event or an experience or an hour on Sunday. Maybe you think of an emotional response. As humans, we do a good job of compartmentalizing our lives. And in that, we often relegate worship to an hour on Sunday morning, or maybe a little longer, depending on who's up here talking. But we relegate worship to this hour on Sunday morning where we gather with people who believe similar things about God and faith, and we sing, and we listen, and we hope that the band or the worship leader or the preacher can inspire us and create such an experience for us so that when we say our goodbyes and we get our kids and we hope you get your kids and you get in the car and you head home and you say something like, wow, worship was great today. As if worship is something that happens around us or to us and not something 
that we do or a way of life or something that we give or offer. Sometimes when we think about worship, we become critics. Well, you know, that guitar player was really good this morning, but that singer, she was off key. Or sometimes we say worship wasn't that good. I want you to think for a moment what's wrong with that statement. Because at its heart, worship is a response, not something we get. We're going to talk about worship this morning. first thing that I want us to talk about is that worship is a response to God's character. Worship is a response to the character and the person of God. We're going to hit a couple places in scripture this morning. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Revelation chapter four. It's towards the back. It's kind of easy to find. To give you a little context here, John, one of Jesus' closest followers, closest disciples, when he walked on the earth, he was given a vision. He's given a picture into what was going on in kind of the, the spiritual realm. He was given a picture into the throne room of God. And Revelation 4 gives us a little description of what's going on in that throne room, in the heavenlies. It says that in the center of, of the room, there's, there's the throne. Like, this is where the king sits. This is where God resides. And then around that throne are 24 smaller thrones. And on those thrones sit the 24 elders. And most people think it's representative of, of the 12 tribes of Israel who represent the, the covenant of God with his people. And then the 12 disciples or apostles, the followers of God. And so that makes up 24, the representative of really the, the people of God. And they're, they're sitting around this throne. And then there's these four living creatures that are, that are flying around. And that's where we're going to pick up. It's, it's interesting to say the least. Starting around verse five, it says, from the throne came flashes of lightning and the rumble of thunder. And in front of the throne were seven torches with burning flames. This is the sevenfold spirit of God. And in front of the throne was a shiny sea of glass sparkling like crystal. And in the center and around the throne were four living beings, each covered with eyes front and back. The first of these living beings was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a human face. And the fourth was like an eagle in flight. And each of these living beings had six wings. And their wings were covered all over with eyes inside and out. Day after day and night after night, they keep on saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty the one who always was, who is, and who is still to come. 
And whenever the living beings give glory and honor and thanks to the one sitting on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders, they fall down and worship the one sitting on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever. And they lay their crowns before the throne as if to say, we lay everything down, our status, our position, none of that matters because we are here in the presence of God Almighty, the creator. And so our status, our position, our crowns don't matter. And they say, you are worthy, O Lord, our God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and they exist because you created what you pleased. Actually, I'd like for us to just read that last verse together. Can we do that? Let's read. You are worthy, O Lord our God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and they exist because you created what you please. Amen. It's interesting, there are a couple of other accounts of where people were given glimpses into the throne room of God, one in Isaiah, one in Ezekiel, and this one here in Revelation, and they're all very similar. And I think for a moment, for a moment, God just wanted to pull back the curtain a little bit and let us get a glimpse of what's going on and the majesty and the splendor and the wonder of the kind of worship and honor and respect that our creator, the God Almighty, the lover of our souls deserves. And we get to see that wonder and that beauty all around us, right? Yesterday, I got the chance to go hiking with two of my sons, and it was not only a beautiful day, but the, where we, went, we, we, we hiked to, to Virgin Falls and back, and it was just amazing. And walking all along the way, we walked through these groves. There were some rhododendron. There were uh, the water. We saw three or four waterfalls along the way. And all I could do was just think, God, thank you. This is amazing. And I had to walk just, you know, a little bit, a few miles from the beaten path to get to view something. And that there's places all over the world that, that nobody has ever seen, but are still declaring the wonder and the majesty of God. And I think God did it just to say, you're welcome. <laughs> Enjoy, have fun. And those places and the things we, we see and got to do that with my sons and the conversations we had and, and just remembering who they were when they were little and now they're getting ready to get married. It, it, just blown away by the goodness and the greatness of God. What I saw all around me, what I saw in the people that I was with, it was truly a moment for worship. 
Psalm 148. It's what I read when we started. It's pretty cool there. It starts off, it talks about the, uh, all the, the things in the skies and the heavenlies that, that praise the Lord. And then it goes to the earth. It talks about the things that are on the earth and goes to, to people and kings. It talks about them praising, all praising, created to praise the creator. It's meant to be a picture, a throwback to Genesis 1 and 2, showing the creation and the fact that God created us to worship and honor him and to tell of his greatness. See, worship is our response to God's character, to his person, to who he is. I wonder if you could take a moment and just think about where have you seen the character of God displayed in your life? And when we think about those things, those drive us to worship. Worship is also a response to God's mercy in our life or God's work in our life. I want to turn back to Luke. Luke is one of the Gospels. The Gospels are the accounts of Jesus' life when he walked on the earth. And if you're new around here, or maybe you're new to any kind of faith or church, or anything like that, just to let you know who we are and where we are, we believe that Jesus is God, that Jesus is the revelation. He's the visible image of the invisible God. He is God come to earth, sets him apart from every other attempt at religion or idea of God in the world because he's the God that came to us. He's not the one that expected us to come to him. And that's who Jesus is. And, and we get to see what his life on earth during that time looked like through the gospels. And this is an account in Luke chapter seven of an encounter that a couple of people had with Jesus. And the, the people had various responses to who Jesus was. And they were religious leaders, Jewish religious leaders called the Pharisees. Some of them were curious about Jesus and who he was. Some of them were questioning, is he saying he's the one we've been waiting for? Is he saying that he's the Messiah? Is he saying that he's God or is he not? Others, he better not be saying that he's the Messiah or that he's God or we're gonna kill him. And where we're at in Luke chapter seven is a place where one of those religious leaders invites Jesus to come over to have a meal with him. And we don't know, maybe he was one of those that were like, I'm curious, I wanna know. I'm skeptical, but I'm at least open to hearing this guy out. Or maybe he was one of the ones that are like, I'll bring him over and I'll catch him in something that he says, something that will give us the grounds to take him out. We don't really know which one he is, but regardless, he invites Jesus over for a meal. And that's where we're gonna pick up in Luke 7, 36. It says, one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. And when a certain immoral woman from that city heard that he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Then she knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. 
Her tears fell on his feet as she wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and, and putting perfume on them. And when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this were a prophet, talking about Jesus, if he were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. And for the Pharisees, for a good Jew, the rules that they had had heaped on top of the rules had certain things to say about who you can associate with and who you can't. Now, the question I always ask when I come to this story is, why on earth was she there? How did she get in? Right? Because we think we invite, in our culture, we invite somebody over for dinner. They come into our house. The doors are closed. We haven't told anybody that they're coming. We just wanted this to be kind of a private deal, right? But they lived in a very communal culture. And often their doors were open. They lived in close proximity so people would see these things and see what was going on in the house. And then sometimes if they were inviting someone important over, then people would hear about it and people would know. And the doors and the windows would be open so that people could, especially if it was like a teacher, and that's what Jesus was known as at this moment, as a teacher, as a rabbi, then people would have known, hey, the teacher's showing up at Simon, the Pharisee's house. We could go and just kind of listen in. And it wasn't weird. It wasn't, you know, like, anyway, it wasn't weird. And so I think she showed up there. So it's kind of strange. Maybe other people had come in as well. And maybe she just kind of slipped in. It says she, she fell at his feet, weeping. And she had this expensive jar of perfume and so she poured that out which would have been an extravagant act it would have been very expensive it even says tells us that says she's weeping or her tears are falling on Jesus feet and then she she wipes it with her hair very very personal very like intimate very uh, lowly And the host, the Pharisee, <laughs> thought to himself, ah, if Jesus really were a prophet, then he knew what kind of woman was touching him. <laughs> then Jesus answered his thoughts. I love that. Simon, <laughs> you ever had that moment like, oh, shoot, did I say that out loud? You know? <laughs> Jesus knew what he was thinking. He said, Simon... I have something to say to you. And Simon replied, go ahead, teacher. And I wonder if it was, okay, go ahead, teacher. Or was it, go ahead, teacher. Yeah. What you got to say? Then Jesus told him the story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces of silver to the other. But neither of them could repay him, so he kindly forgave them both. I want to borrow money from that guy. <laughs> he kindly uh, forgave them both, canceling their debts. 
Who do you suppose loves him more after that? Makes sense, right? Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. His debt was 10 times greater than the the other. And so the one that his debt was was 10 times greater, it was received. You'd think you'd be like 10 times more grateful, right? That's right, said Jesus. And then he turned to the woman. He said to Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she's washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the first time I came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. There's something going on here that's kind of interesting. Simon, the Pharisee, would have thought that it was scandalous that Jesus was allowing this woman to interact with him. First, just the fact that she was a woman. Second, because of her reputation. Says that she was an immoral woman. Most likely, she was probably someone who had to sell her body for money to even exist or to survive. And that would have been scandalous. But what would have also been scandalous was the fact that Simon, a Pharisee, a respected person in the community, he didn't offer Jesus water to wash his feet, as was their custom. He didn't greet this important teacher with a kiss, which would have been, you know, like a hug and a kiss on the cheek. That was their culture. That would have been accepted. That would have been expected. But he didn't do that. He didn't offer this olive oil to anoint his head. Simon was just as scandalous as the woman. He just thought he was better than her. Jesus turned to the woman and he said to Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, You didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the first time I came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love. But a person who is forgiven little shows only little love. Then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. And the men at the table said among themselves, who is this man? He goes around forgiving sins. The translation, who does he think he is? Only God can forgive sins. Jesus saying, eh, that's right. And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. He who has been forgiven much, loves much. Not only do we worship God and honor him because we've been forgiven, but it also impacts the way that we love others. So I wonder, 
What has he saved you from? For what have you been forgiven? Your worship and the way that you honor God is a response to his mercy. Worship is also a way of life. It's a way of life that flows from our transformation. One more spot in scripture, Romans 12 for this one. (laughs) One of our students heard, oh, Romans 12 was one of the passages that's going to, and they said, Brian must be preaching. I like this passage. I think it's formational for us. But the guy who wrote this was a guy who was one of those Pharisees, like Simon, so much so and so devout and so zealous that he arranged to have followers of Jesus arrested and at times killed. But he had an experience, he had a moment with Jesus where Jesus met him and transformed his life. And as a response to that, Paul gave his whole life to following the way of Jesus and to going where God called him to go. And in Romans, he's, he's writing to believers, some Jewish background believers and some Gentile or pagan background believers. And the biggest part of the whole letter is just trying to get them, one, as they are body together and they are the church together coming from different backgrounds to get along. <laughs> That's really what the, the letter's all about. He tells them in chapter 12, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all that he's done for you. Let them be a living and a holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. And this is truly the way to worship him. Paul says the way to worship God, to truly worship God, is to offer your bodies And when he says bodies, I don't think it just means like your physical body, but your whole being, everything that you are, offer them as living sacrifices. Now, when they heard the word sacrifice, whether they were Jewish background or pagan background, they thought of a few things. They thought of blood, they thought of death, the Jews thought of animals, and the blood of these animals that were offered as atonement for their sins, the pagans. When they thought of sacrifice, maybe they had learned about the sacrifices of the Jews, but they'd also think about the sacrifices that were made to appease the gods, little g gods, or to find favor so that their crops would do well or that they would be able to have children or whatever. And so there were all these images that jumped into their heads, but most of them had to do with death. But Paul says, offer your bodies, offer who you are as living sacrifices. And this is the way that you worship God. You give him everything that you are. 
as living sacrifices. It becomes a way of life. He goes on. He says, don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. He said, don't look like the culture around you. Don't be conformed to what they say love looks like. Don't be conformed to what they say God looks like. Don't be conformed to the way they, they say that you just go out for yourself and you don't think about anybody else. Don't be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind because you're offering your bodies as a living sacrifice. You're worshiping as a way of life that transforms everything. It transforms how you do your job. That transforms how you treat those that work for you or the people you work with. That transforms how you do the things that you're responsible for, how you, how you do your school. It transforms how honest you are in your dealings transforms how we handle disappointment or conflict. It transforms how we treat the server at a restaurant or the salesman. It transforms how we view our roles and responsibilities. It transforms how we change those diapers. or how we handle being woken up in the middle of the night transforms how we treat our spouse when they're unlovable. Because if worship is a way of life, then it impacts everything about us. And one last thought. I have a wife. <laughs> That may surprise some of you, but I do. And she's amazing. She serves people well. She loves her family well. She's a great mom. She's a nurse. She loves caring for people. I think she's pretty beautiful. In fact, she's the most beautiful in the room, person in the room right now. No offense to the rest of you. And I adore her. I do. But if I were to start turning my gaze or my attention to someone else, what might happen to the way that I view my wife? First, I hope you'd punch me in the face, but second to that, I might start thinking that, that someone else maybe is a little more attractive if I'm casting my gaze somewhere else. I might start thinking that the best version of someone else is a little more enticing than my wife on her worst days. Not that she has bad days, but it's hypothetical, right? I 
I start putting my gaze, fixing my attention somewhere else. Then that can affect the way I feel about her or how I view her. And so I'm very intentional about what or who I allow to capture my gaze. And what's, what's my point? Point is this, what captures our gaze is what we worship. When it comes to God, when it comes to the things that we allow to control our lives, what captures our gaze is what we worship. Where our hearts are turned is the place where we bow. It's who we adore or what we adore. The object of our attention is the object of our affection. It's the object of our worship. And this series we've been in is called Chain Reaction. And the way we worship or what we worship or how we worship is, is kind of like this chain reaction. One thing happens, then another thing happens, then another thing happens, right? So this is the way as we gaze upon the only one worthy of our worship who receives and forgives us and invites us into his life, we do that, we are undone. We are transformed so that all of life becomes worship in the way that we live, in the choices that we make, in the way that we work, in the way that we love and serve people. Everything in our lives is a reflection and a response to the character and the mercy of God. And we worship him in every moment and every day, so much so that when we come together in spaces and environments like this, this is just icing on the cake. It's a moment to join our hearts together with other sisters and brothers and sing of the greatness of our God. And so what can happen in this room when we sing these songs, when we open up scripture is worship. And it's not something that we're coming to look for to, to fill us. It's something that we come into this place and we expect to fill God, to honor him. And so whether it's our preference or not, or there's something that we don't quite like, it doesn't matter because we're worshiping God with our lives every day of the week, every moment of the day. And we get to join ourselves, join our hearts to worship him. This whole series has been kind of about these things that, that turn our hearts towards God. It's these spiritual practices or disciplines. We've talked about reading and studying scripture. Other things we'll be talking about, talking about giving, talking about celebration, talking about fellowship, these things that, that we do that join our hearts together and turn our hearts towards God. Here's a way I'd like you to play out this practice this week of worship. Set aside some time to sit with Jesus 
at least one day this week. But if you really want to reach, do it every day. And I want you to think about the ways you've seen God's character expressed in your life and all around you. I want you to write those down. And then think about the things in your life from which you've been forgiven and write those down. And just spend some moments looking at that list in wonder, in gratefulness and in gratitude and then express that gratitude to the Father through prayer, it's through a song. But don't leave it there. Take that into your day, allowing that gratitude, that devotion, that worship to impact and transform what you do that day and what you say and how you love and how you interact. Let it impact and become a way of life. I'd love for you to stand with us. And uh, here's the opportunity this morning. Jimmy's gonna lead us in a song and the words of the song are, are just asking you to consider what, what are we laying down? What is our offering of praise? And I want you to begin to think about those questions. Where have I seen God's character in my life and, and from what have I been forgiven? And we'll sing that song. And if you're in the room and you've never, you never surrendered anything to the Lord, <laughs> if you've never surrendered your heart to him, then that's where it starts. And if that's where you're at, we're gonna have people in the prayer room back there that would love to talk to you right back here in the corner. Or if you're watching online, you can reach out to, to Andrew who's there and would love to talk with you. But for the rest of us in the room, let's just respond to God and worship him, thinking about who he is and what he's done in our lives. Jimmy. Hey everyone, thanks so much for listening today. If you would like more information about the church and what God is doing here through the river, you can visit therivercc.com or you can download our app in the app or Google Play Store. Again, we just want to say thank you for listening and we hope as you go throughout your week that you are able to love God, love people, and impact the world.